0: What's going on? Hey, what's up? Super grateful that you have tuned into this episode today. My name is Shaleen. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Today, I'm going to offer to you some strategies to help you or a loved one with anxiety. Now, before we get started, just to be very clear, I am not a trained psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't pretend. Well, actually, I do sometimes pretend to be one because my best friend is one. And so therefore, By proxy, I think that means I have an honorary degree, but all joking aside, this is a very serious topic, and I'm gonna tell you right up front that the absolute best thing that you can do, aside from trying to employ some of these techniques and tactics yourself, is to work with a professional, somebody who this is what they do, and also keep in mind, if you've done that in the past, it's like going to the gym. You can't just hire a personal trainer for a couple of months and then feel like, well, you know, I mean, I hired someone and I'm not working with them anymore. And how come my muscles aren't as strong or how come I'm not getting the same results? Those things that are important to us have to be maintained. And that means we have to put effort into it. It means that we have to seek the wise counsel of a professional. It means sometimes you might need to plug in with a therapist or your spirituality, your faith. Maybe it means working with a personal trainer, whatever it is that you want to improve. If it's important to you, while I absolutely love that you're working on it yourself, you're trying to manage it, you're learning techniques and coping mechanisms, even just by listening to this podcast today. I also want to encourage you to consider going the next step, especially if, you know, at the end of this podcast, you're like, okay, I'm going to try it for a week, but it just, I'm still suffering and it feels like it's getting worse. Well, then it might be time to try another approach. Please know that you are not alone. The national prevalence here in the United States for anxiety is shocking. Almost 40 million people in the United States currently say that they experience anxiety or have a diagnosed anxiety disorder. And that's almost 18% of the population. 8% of our children right now experience some form of anxiety disorder. And those are the ones who are reporting, right? Like, it's got to be higher than that. I have to imagine that there are very few families who are actually reporting that their children have anxiety because They aren't trained to pick up on the signs of it. Anxiety in children does not show up the same way it does necessarily for adults. Now, if you're not sure if in fact what you're experiencing is anxiety, or if you'd like to know more about the difference between anxiety and panic attacks, I will post a link in my show notes below this episode to the episode I did with Dr. Michaela, where we really broke all of that down. Today, I'm going to share with you strategies that will help you to break down what it is that's causing the anxiety and how to cope with it other than just relying on discipline or willpower, like just trying to think it away or will it away because we know those techniques, they just don't work. This is a curated collection of what I believe are some of the best books and expert advice when it comes to managing, reducing, and even potentially eliminating anxiety through the use of some practices, most notably that of mindfulness. Now, when it comes to any technique or any treatment or even taking medication, we know that the placebo effect, meaning if you believe something is going to work, it has a much higher likelihood of working. And for that reason, I want to give you a little bit better understanding of what's happening in your brain that creates this anxiety. First of all, anxiety is it's natural. It's primitive. It's something that we do in our brains to survive. Humans have two parts of their brains and they evolved at different times. So there's the nervous system, which regulates our primitive survival responses, right? It's that fight or flight response. It's the part of our brains that's responsible for freezing when we see something or deciding to run if there is something that scares us. But around a million or so years ago, scientists believe that another part of our brain started to develop and that is the prefrontal cortex, which you've heard me talk a lot about. And it's our prefrontal cortex that's responsible for planning, reasoning, predicting, understanding, and it allows us to identify, to see patterns, and then to adapt our behavior or our way of thinking in response to something that we've experienced in the past. Does that make sense? So anxiety occurs when our prefrontal cortex doesn't have enough information or enough experiences to understand or to predict, okay, what's going to happen next? Or sometimes it has all that information, but it ignores those things and it focuses on maybe a movie that we saw and it uses that as information. Or it focuses on just one experience we've had in the past and it uses that to predict a future occurrence. That is probably why anxiety is at a much heightened rate right now than it's ever been in our past. And I think that has a lot to do with what's happened in the last year or so with COVID-19, with race relations, with politics. There's just so many things that we're just not certain of. Even like right now, you might be in a job where people are still working from home, or maybe your kids are still on the split schedule where some of the days are at home and some of the days they are in person. Maybe it's trying to figure out whether you should take the vaccine or if you're going to get sick. All of these things, we don't have a lot of information because we've really never been here before. And anxiety, unlike our primitive responses to fight or flight, anxiety doesn't really have that type of evolutionary function. In other words, we don't run or hide. We think it's an evolutionary function of our brain where we just start feeling anxious and that feeling of anxiety actually serves a survival purpose as well because that in the past would tell our ancestors like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. So therefore I need to problem solve. I have to kind of predict what it is I need to do in order to stay safe, which is not exactly easy to do when you don't have a lot of information. Like when have we ever been facing a global pandemic? When have we ever had to face or experience the things that we've had to experience in the last year and a half? Pretty much never. Now, I'm not someone who suffers from general anxiety, but I do have situational anxiety. And most often, it's a pretty normal thing to experience anxiety when I'm walking into a situation that I've never been in this situation. I've never experienced this before. So I don't have a means by which or strong means by which to predict What it is I'm going to experience. Now, when I start to feel those things, my natural response is to try to get information. I try to talk to someone who's done it before. I try to Google it. I try to get a decent understanding of what it is I can expect. But here's the thing with anxiety when we start to feel anxious, we feel like we need to do something. And a lot of times, what it is we decide to do is to worry for whatever reason. We think if we're worrying, it is a form of problem-solving, but it's really not. In fact, worrying just makes us more anxious. And worrying is also a form of addiction. It's an addictive behavior that all of us can indulge in, some people more than others, because it creates this secular response where you begin to worry, and that feeds your anxiety. And that anxiety makes you worry more. And that loop is very distracting. Like you can't be present if you are worrying. Now, if you think about addictions, gambling, social media, porn, alcohol, drugs, all addictions, you know, even an eating disorder addiction, all of those things provide a temporary escape from a feeling. It might be a feeling of boredom. It might be a feeling of sadness. It might be a feeling of worthlessness, but it allows you to escape a feeling if you have to focus on an addiction. And trust me, worrying is also a very addictive behavior. But as many experts know, understanding the psychology of our habits and our addictive behaviors is the first step to breaking them. So if you want to break your addiction to worry If you want to understand your own anxiety, a great place to start is by looking at what situation, what scenario triggers that anxiety. We talk a lot about habits on the show. I mean, habit formation, I think, is just the key to living a much easier life because you don't have to rely on discipline, right? And the one thing that we do know from many experts, including BJ Fogg, James Clear, Charles Duhigg. We know that habits, in order to create a habit, there needs to be a trigger. And that trigger is almost like a reminder to you, a subconscious reminder to do that thing. So there's likely certain situations, certain scenarios that remind you to do the thing. And the thing that you're doing is getting anxious and then worrying. Okay, stay with me for a second on this. So think about it. If we wanna establish a good habit, or even a bad habit, there has to be some kind of reward. Sometimes it's even a short-term reward. So by that, I mean, imagine if at night when everyone goes to bed, that's a trigger for you and your habit is to go to the pantry and eat a carton full of cookies. Now, we know that that's detrimental and that there's a lot of negative implications of eating a big carton full of cookies every single night, but there's some reward or you wouldn't do it. So even our bad habits, the ones that we're trying to kick, we have to identify like what's the reward? Even if I know logically that this is not good for me and that in the long run it's hurting me, what is the short-term reward of this behavior? And I want you to apply that same line of thinking to your habit of worrying because it's the worry that's making the anxiety worse. So what is going on? What is the reward? How does it make you feel better even for the moment? To worry. I'm gonna let you think about that for a second. Just think through it. What was going on the last time you were really worried about something that you had no control over it? And it started to increase your anxiety levels. And then you started to worry more, and then you get more and more anxious. Well, most of the time, when we worry, we believe that we're problem solving. And so the reward is that subconsciously, we feel like we're protecting ourselves or that we're making some kind of plans that will keep us safe. Like if I just keep worrying about this, I'm gonna stumble upon a solution. I'm gonna stumble upon something I can control and I can avoid whatever it is that I'm worried about that's causing me this anxiety. But 98% of the time, what we're worrying about, we can't affect any change. There's nothing we can do. And so the worrying is just creating this loop that makes the anxiety even worse. So just soak that in for a moment and recognize that your thoughts, those worrying thoughts that you have actually do not serve you in any way. They're more harmful than helpful. Okay, so take a deep breath. We're going to take a little break before we start talking about strategies that are really going to help you with this. To thank our sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by Organify. And I want to tell you about my two favorite products with Organify. They are Organify Pure, it's a little packet that you can dump into your bottle of water. And I also love Organify Immunity, which kind of has an orange flavor. It's delicious. So, what I'm going to tell you about today is a way I mix up the Organify Immunity that is so yummy. It's a little off label, but you're going to love this as a treat. I did this this week and it was to die for. So, because it has an orange flavor, so I mix the whole packet of Organifi immunity. And to be honest, it's really good if you put in a pack and a half. All right. And then I mix it with cold water, ice, and a little bit of vanilla oat milk. It is like an orange creamsicle. You're welcome. And on top of that, it has 500% of your daily vitamin C. It's got your zinc your vegan vitamin D3. It bolsters your immune system, so it improves your immune support. It's got antiviral, antifungal, and antibacterial support, and it contains high-potency mushroom beta-glucans. You got to love those superfoods. Anyways, that's my special recipe for Organifi Immunity, but I mean, all their products are fantastic, and I, I just love that they come in powdered form. I can throw them in my water, have them as a hot drink at night, and Get all of my essential superfoods and know that they're 100% USDA certified organic. Thank you Organifi for sponsoring the show. Thank you lifers for supporting the show by giving Organifi a try. By using the code Shaleen, you get 20% off all of their products. Again, it's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Shaleen. Use the code Shalene for 20% off everything, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Shalene. All right, back to the show. So we left off talking about how it is there is a reward, how it is we feel a reward for doing something that is considered a bad habit or something that we're trying to change, like worrying. So what we do know about the science of habit from the many experts we've had on the show is that it is much easier to substitute a new behavior than it is to just eliminate a behavior and it's also much easier to create a new habit around an already existing habit so for our purposes when it comes to thinking about how worry relates to anxiety i want you to understand the fact that that is it's a mental activity it's a mental activity that's now become a habit right so How can we take that behavior, that mental activity and substitute it with a different type of mental activity, a different behavior, if you will, that serves us, that actually lessens our anxiety versus heightens it? Well, the answer is mindfulness. And a study from 2010 from Harvard University found that we live on autopilot like 50% of the time. And while this can be very useful, it also means that we kind of lose our sense or our ability to be present in the moment, which makes it really hard to interrupt those bad habits, those destructive thought patterns, but it can be done. But the way that we do that is by identifying, by catching ourselves when we slip into autopilot, when we're doing things subconsciously, unconsciously almost, where we don't even realize like you've done this, where you're driving to a location and then suddenly you're not where you were supposed to be going because you were on autopilot, you weren't even thinking about it, your brain took over and you just ended up where you normally go. And that can only happen because you weren't being mindful in that moment. So mindfulness training or training yourself to be mindful is a really powerful thing, a very powerful tool that you you have the ability to develop To interrupt the habit loop that happens when you start to feel anxious and then worry. But in order to do that, we have to take a different approach when it comes to the reward center, the reward that we feel for worrying. You need to think differently about it. When we get stuck on autopilot, our brains get stuck in these kind of like outdated ways of wiring our behaviors. But when we learn to become mindful, what we're able to do is assess what the real reward is, like using our logic in the present moment and to understand, like, what am I really getting out of this? When you notice yourself doing something, a habitual activity, a habitual behavior that you know is not good for you, like, you know, maybe there's immediate reward, like the example I gave you of snacking at night or, or smoking cigarettes or, or whatever it is. What you want to ask yourself is, okay, What is the experience that I'm having in this moment? And what is the actual reward? Focus on the actual reward, which usually there isn't an actual reward. Usually there is a long-term negative impact of it. So instead of focusing on, oh, it feels really good to take a drag off the cigarette or oh, wow, these cookies are really yummy and they're delicious. The second you start to catch yourself engaging in a particular behavior, train yourself, to become aware in the moment of what the long-term detrimental impact of it is. And that will lessen, it's not gonna take it away, but it's gonna lessen the joy that you feel. Start really focusing on that. And it's gonna make that habit a little bit easier to break. But the best thing that you can do is to replace it. Now, remember, this isn't you trying to talk yourself out of something. I'm not suggesting that. Rather, I want you to just observe The reality of the situation, even if you do eat the cookies or take the drag off the cigarette or whatever it is you're doing, just catch yourself and practice observing the reality of the situation. I want you to stop yourself and say, Oh, I know what's going on here. I know why I'm doing this. I understand the momentary feeling of joy that I get. And I also know that it's an illusion and that long term, this is not good for me. Or even after this moment, there's a negative impact. This is not an overnight, immediate process. It's going to take patience. It's going to take grace. You're going to have to be nice to yourself about this. The only thing I'm asking you to do to begin with is to just be present and to recognize what's going on. That's all. Don't be impatient. Being impatient is normal. I mean, after all, these are habits many of us have had for years, decades, maybe most of your life, but you can break these habits. Breaking habits and replacing them with new ones is a process. Like I said, it it doesn't happen overnight. You're going to have a couple of good days, then a couple of bad days, and you're going to slip back into old habits, and then you're going to get really good again. But the more you commit, the more eager you are to change this, the more likely you will to change it forever. With that foundation in place, let's talk about the very first tool that I want you to develop. It's a tool you already have. You just haven't used it perhaps in a while when you felt anxious. But as a kid, you used it all the time. Think about it. Little kids don't normally become anxious unless they have really anxious parents. Most kids are curious. They want to know how long is it going to take for us to get there? How did that sign get up there? Where is that little boy's mommy? How old is his mommy? Where are they going? Like all this curiosity, there's this love of learning, and it's just natural and it's intuitive. And it allows us to be mindful in the moment. Experiments at the University of California, Davis have shown us that when people are curious, it opens up our dopamine pathways. I mean, it fires up all of the electrons and synapses in our brain, and it connects those things to the reward centers and the hippocampus. It's almost impossible to be worried and anxious and curious at the same time. What we do, though, as anxious adults, is when we don't have information, rather than being curious about figuring out what the missing information is, for example, when we were at the beginning of this pandemic and everyone was freaking out about will there be enough supplies, will there be enough food at the grocery store, no one knew the answer to that. And so a few people started going crazy with toilet paper, and then we all got worried about toilet paper. No one actually got curious enough to understand supply chains and to figure out if, in fact, that was something we needed to be worried about. Instead, we all just worried about it. I want you to write this sentence down. You ready? You've got a pen and a piece of paper? Awesome. If not, you could type it in your phone. If you're driving, you can do this later. But here's the question I want you to ask the next time you're feeling anxious. It is, hmm what's going on here? And I actually want you to make that sound. Just go, hmm. It's like the sound of curiosity, the sound that you make when you're not quite sure what the heck is going on. It's not the sound that you make when you try to fill in the gaps. That's the sound and the question that we ask when we're trying to figure something out. Our brain loves certainty. And that is why we stress We worry and we fill in the gaps with things that make us worry even more because we want certainty, even though we're not creating it with our worry, we feel like we are. So in order to break this habit, the first tool that I want you to use is curiosity. Asking questions, being curious, forces us to be mindful. We can't worry and be mindful at the same time. In fact, it pulls us into mindfulness when we're asking questions. Asking questions like, how do I feel? Is there a clock in this room? What color is the couch? How many plants do I see in this room? Even simple questions like that will pull you out of an obsessive loop of worrying, which is heightening your anxiety, and will force you to be present, to be mindful. Breathing exercises are another great way to help your body become mindful. Breathing helps you to stay focused, helps you to focus on your body. It helps you to focus on, frankly, your breathing instead of thinking about everything else. Now, that's a practice. I mean, there's great YouTube videos, but my favorite person to recommend to you is Samantha Skelly. She's been a featured guest on our show before, and I will put a link in our show notes so you can listen to that episode where she will actually walk you through a breathing exercise. Breathing can help us to feel relaxed and centered and reduce anxiety. I wanna give you a variety of mindful exercises because you're gonna find the one that feels most natural that you actually feel the reward from it and begin practicing that instead of worrying, right? So another example might be meditation. I just cannot say enough amazing things about meditation. I have so many friends who swear by it. I personally, I'm not great about sitting quietly, with no music, no sound, and without doing a guided meditation. I prefer a guided meditation. You might be able to practice meditation on your own. If not, start with a moving meditation. If you've never tried a moving meditation, you don't even know what you've been missing, you could have one set, downloaded, ready to go on your phone. I've recorded tons of them. All you have to do is search moving meditation, Chalene Johnson, on whatever podcast app you're listening to and you'll find a whole bunch of them there for you for free. Those will help you to be mindful. Many therapists also suggest the body scan exercise. For this, you just lay down or you can sit up comfortably in a chair, palms facing up, preferably eyes closed. And the first thing you'll become aware of is your breathing. And then once you have focused on your breathing, you begin with your toes And move up through the feet and then every part of your lower legs, your knees, your thighs, your pelvis, abdomen, your chest, your back, your hands, your arms, up through the neck, back of the head, the face, top of the head. And you wanna spend about one minute on each body part before moving to the next, if at all possible. Of course, I flew through that very quickly. But the body scan exercise, just continuing to repeat that is going to make you present. It's going to make you mindful and it's going to break that habit. Some therapists recommend using a leaf or raisins or something that has a lot of texture, is interesting to look at, interesting to scan plants, something that forces you to like really stop and observe. And and I personally think this works best when you're Picking something in nature because I mean, Mother Nature will absolutely fascinate you and fill you with awe and gratitude. At least that's what I found. Whether it's holding a handful of rocks or sand or leaves or looking at raisins or fruit, like just looking at all the intricacies that Mother Nature has created or God has created. And it's just fascinating to look at the crevices and the colors and the textures to notice the way things smell and feel, and that will pull you into mindfulness. The key here, however, is creating a couple of these different exercises so that you can pull from that toolbox, if you will, the next time you catch yourself being triggered by something that heightens your anxiety, catching yourself before you start looping into a worrying cycle and producing that habitual way of thinking that just creates more anxiety and sometimes ultimately a panic attack. You're going to interrupt that pattern. Now, this is just like breaking any other habit and replacing it with a good habit. It doesn't happen overnight. You've got to be focused on what it is you want. You've got to start focusing on the reward and you have to be patient and gentle and forgiving with yourself, but you also have to be persistent. You want to replace this negative habit because it doesn't serve you. And it may be holding you back. It may be limiting you in so many ways. And and you know that. And by replacing worry with mindfulness, you can begin to break the cycle of anxiety. Lastly, I want to mention that friend of the show, Dr. Michaela, was a contributor for this episode. She is also our resident anxiety and EMDR specialist. Dr. Michaela is world-renowned. I mean, people fly in from all over, literally all over the world to work with her. She's just the best. The absolute best. That might not be in the budget for you. Maybe you can't afford to do a one-on-one session. And I have to tell you, she's got this really great membership program that's specifically just designed for people with general anxiety. And you can learn more about it. It's incredibly affordable. com forward slash lifeline. Be sure to check that out. And then ultimately remember Finding a good therapist is a really important thing that you can do, even if you've worked with a therapist in the past. As I always like to say, it's kind of like working with a fitness trainer, like you're going to find someone who you fit with, some you won't, and you'll evolve and you'll probably want a different therapist. We all grow and we evolve. And even if you've gone to therapy in the past, if these things keep coming up and coming up and you're trying to manage them yourself and it's just not going so well, Make an investment in yourself. Just do it, y'all. And I love it when I meet you guys and you're like, just so you know, I heard you talking about therapy for so many years and I finally went and I just want to kick myself for not having gone earlier because it was such a game changer. I'm like a different person. Why did I wait? So take their advice. If you're not going to take mine, take other people's advice. I hear this over and over and over again. It's a game changer. Listen, I love you. I mean it. I really do. And I'll talk to you on Wednesday.